0: Welcome to the Physics Teaching Podcast, the podcast for teachers of physics made by physics teachers. Episode 12, Robin, here Epis- we are again. Yeah, episode 12, we've lasted a lot longer than Star Wars did. Ha! I, th- I think you'll find that Star Wars is going to go on forever, so <laughs> yes. after long after we're gone, so I think they're in for the long game. Uh, welcome back, episode 12. 12 did I say? Yes. Um, My name is Thomas and I'm a part-time A-level only physics teacher.
1: And My name's Robin. Uh, I'm a Capricorn and uh, I like pina coladas and dancing in the rain. No, um, I like, uh, I work for the Institute of Physics. I used to be a teacher. I'm now uh, uh, the head of program for teacher professional support at the Institute of Physics, bit of a mouthful, uh, which means I get to look after lovely teachers of physics and uh, help them Uh, to be better for teachers of physics i guess and do you represent the iop in this podcast robin i do not represent the iop in any way shape or form in this podcast you are an
0: independent entity
1: exactly that's the only reason they
0: let me home now we started the podcast because 50 percent of schools in the uk approximately have one or zero physics teachers i was lonely with no one to talk to about the subject i love so much and we have heard that i'm not alone in that so thank you people who have contacted the podcast and uh We have have had a quiet week this week. I think everyone's settling in after Christmas, but I think we'll build up again. The first news we must share. Yeah. The big news. The big news. It is a bit of a cheat is that someone has gone to the shop on our website, the.physicsteachingpodcast.com, yes. and bought us a coffee.
1: Oh, I know. And it was it was the lovely, lovely James De Winter. Not the one from the novel by Daphne Maurier, I have to say, but the um, physics PGCE tutor. I'm sure his title is a lot more grand than that at Cambridge University, but a, a lovely guy. And... Um, Uh, that's why Thomas said I think it was a cheat that I actually I I know him you've met him as well I think Thomas
0: we're going to get him on as a guest I think in the future Mm. if we can't think of anything we'll talk to him about the physics of birdsong but I think there's other stuff of more gravity about training teachers he might be able to fill us in on that's more pertinent to our mission
1: yes but let's face it the physics of birdsong is pretty cool I've got to say I've talked to him about
0: it. It's so much more than you would expect it to be. So uh, thank you, James. Uh, We took your £5 down to town. We were going to take a picture in our T-shirts and in a coffee shop and send it to you, but it was just before Christmas. So we forgot and we got diverted to the pub and we... You bought us a half each, so thank you very much. We really enjoyed it. So, <laughs> if anyone else wants to buy two middle-aged physics teachers a coffee, that might be half a pint of beer. the dot com is just a bit of fun. We don't expect it. And you can also get t shirts there with our wonderful motto: "I'm at the bottom of an exponential." So, physics in the news. Did you see the, the shrink ray? It was it was over <laughs> Christmas. You might have missed it.
1: <laughs> the shrink ray. Oh, wonderful! From from our tv childhood i've created a shrink ray (laughs) Uh, but presumably not quite as uh
0: no it's it it is a shrinking method but it doesn't use a ray which is a great tragedy um it uses acid but it's a really fascinating thing where they use laser it's got lasers this is something my kids do Mm. if they want to do an improvement for a practical at the start of sixth form, I don't know if anyone else has this. So you say, Well, how could you improve that? And in their write up, they say, I would use a laser tape measure, or I would use a laser ruler, yes. or I would use a, a laser balance. Yeah, because put laser on the front. So this, yeah. maybe we should call this the Laser Physics Teaching Podcast. Yes, because it's better.
1: Because it's, it? it's, it's like a regular physics teaching podcast, it's better because it's laser. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, but they actually do use lasers and mm. they make a scaffold. I won't go into it in too much depth. We'll put a link in the podcast. They make a scaffold on a gel and then they bathe it in acid somehow and it shrinks down to the nanoscale. Mm. I'm pretty sure when they start, it's quite small, but then they shrink it down to the nanoscale. Really cool.
1: I remember having to do um, one of the... the applied courses that, that came and went during my time as a teacher there was they, they used to have a whole section on um gels and aerosols and foams and the difference between them and what a suspension was and all this sort of stuff and it was I have to say I remember finding that really really interesting the whole idea of gels and what they do is is does that make me a material scientist am I going to have to go to some sort of meeting <laughs> ms anonymous to- wasn't,
0: wasn't it in our first ever practice but let's see if we can do this episode where I accused you of being a bit too physics-y because you were talking about open f- gels or something.
1: That's right, yeah. You, you, you said, yeah, open cell phone, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. You said uh, that's a bit physics-y. We have to get over that on the physics teaching podcast. Yeah. Sorry. Never
0: mind. Maybe. So that was my physics news. Did you have anything you wanted to talk about? Uh,
1: well, yes. Yeah, so the, the things, the mysterious thing. So you were saying about annoying things people do to say that there was in the news this week one of such thing that annoys me and it was about these signals that they picked up from space uh so they've picked up what i i gather to be sort of a fairly regular but slightly um oddly regular so sort of 13 beats that are blown exactly so the bbc on their website and you can go and look at this we'll put a link in the podcast notes. so five things that might explain it and they start off with saying oh well, you know it could be a a, a quasar or a pulsar or this and all of these relatively reasonable explanations for what this might be a collapsing neutron star <laughs> and of course number five is or it might be aliens it's like well <laughs> highly unlikely to be
0: i'll probably find out the energy is the energy of an entire galaxy yeah from 12 billion light years away uh, and maybe that would be beyond an alien civilization
1: Yeah, well, this is it, though. So it is actually from another galaxy. So, yeah, the energy involved must be huge because it's going to be a lot of light years away. I'm I'm not going to hazard a guess as to how many light years away that is, but that'll be in the BBC article, I'm sure, alongside a little diagram of the little green man. Definitely
0: green. Mm -hmm. Definitely green and probably humanoid. So since we recorded that bit, Robin, we've had another person visit the shop and buy us coffee for two.
1: Oh, bless them. They're, they're, they're wonderful people. And uh, and I'm sure my liver can take it.
0: We might actually have to make it coffee this time, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think that sounds like a plan. He also bought a t-shirt. So we're really looking forward to Dan unleashing a photo of himself in the t-shirt. <laughs> so thank you, Dan. Um, now, this, one of our beloved listeners, Helen CK, posted in Facebook on our Facebook page, Physics TP. And she asked her ways to teach the electromagnetic spectrum. And I think we've been very remiss, Robin. We haven't asked people for their ideas. And she's probably finished the topic and feeling a bit bereft. So I think we probably should spend some time just give a few of our top tips on teaching the electromagnetic spectrum. Do you think we can spend five minutes on that? I think we absolutely should. That's a fantastic idea. The electromagnetic spectrum is always a good one, isn't it? Yeah, it it is. Do you want to go first? Well, yeah, I think
1: the tip I'd probably give is... um, Is I think it's a great place to introduce context. I think it's really important in in physics lessons to uh, give the students a context for uh, the stuff that you're doing and talk about careers and potential jobs and pathways and why physics is important in the world and all those sorts of things. And this is a great place to do that. You can think of... uh, You can think of at least two or three uh, important aspects of the electromagnetic spectrum uh, for each different chunk, gamma rays, x-rays, all the rest as well, uh, and the way that they're used and careers that are are linked to them. So I think it's a really good way of of bringing context into your classroom, which is always important.
0: That would be a really good um, homework to lead into it, wouldn't it? Because I'm I'm Mm. afraid I, Stuart Farmer, who talked about hand wavy, won't like this, but I do stand up and wave my hands around for electromagnetic spectrum. But I also I, I probably would do it over two lessons. It's such a huge subject. I I you can introduce it in one. I'd do it over two and then pick it off and mention it over and over again. So the two lessons I would do is I'd do the first lesson, I'd have stretched out down the side of the lab seven things to represent the seven main groups. But I try and make them exciting. So for microwaves, I might have a bucket of water. Why a bucket of water for microwaves, you might ask? Well, what I would do is I would say, well, mobile phones, most people know they communicate by microwaves. Let's see how well they work in water. Do I have a volunteer to put their phone in this Ziploc bag and then we'll ring it up? So I try and make it a bit different. Yeah. Uh, for visible, I might, if, I've, if I'm lucky enough, and I'm in my current school lucky enough to have two colors of laser, I'd shine that through a diffraction grating to show that the, the wavelengths are actually very similar. Because the distance between the dots obviously reflects the wavelength of the light. Hmm. I'd have radioactive rocks with a, a GM tube and a scalar for gamma, obviously. And I'd, you know, I think I'd probably have the old chestnut of a UV light and a five-pound note for for uv so i try and do something a little bit different for each of them but i do stand at the front and talk them through and i try and get across this really important idea that they're all the same thing depending on how you view view them i might show videos of doppler shift there's any number of those on youtube yeah just try to get them thinking about the, the sound wave it's the same wave it just your perception of it changes depending on how you how you uh, how you experience it so I would probably have a laser there and so say, if you ran towards this laser really, 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 really fast, it would not be red. It would be the same laser to someone standing behind you, but you would not see it as red. You'd squish up those waves, and it would change towards the bluer end of the spectrum. And if you ran away from yeah. it really, 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 really fast and looked over your shoulder, it would disappear. It would be mm. gone. So I'd, I'd, mm. I'd introduce it like that. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, the other thing I do in the, the second lesson is I have a – a real standard display work, which I know is a bit of an old chestnut, but my aim is to have at the end of the lesson, I'd have seven bits of A3 paper on the wall yeah. S- yeah, alongside each one. other with a big way- just one sine wave on the first one and then two on the second and four on the third and up, up, up to the end where I've got as many as they can fit on. And I would spend Mm -hmm. the first 10 minutes of the lesson giving them really explicit instructions about how those waves have got to fit together I'd sketch it on the board. And then I would have done a bit of research beforehand and I'd hand out information about the waves and how they're used and just getting to make something pretty and interesting. But the main aim of that is to have a really good display that can go up on the wall.
1: Yes, indeed, and and of course, um, you mentioned homework earlier on. This is a great one for that. So you can challenge them to go and find a, a new use uh, for electromagnetic waves that none of us have heard of. You know, we we all come up with the old chestnuts, but set them a task and do a bit of extra credit yes. research. Find out something that that they electromagnetic waves are useful that they didn't know about,
0: and they could come back with anything. You know, astro telescope, something like that. And the, the one thing we cannot forget to mention is the wonderful, the glorious. Electromagnetic song on YouTube. You must have heard oh, of that. The, absolutely, the electromagnetic, the electromagnetic Magnetic spectrum. I did a spectrum. performance of that once, f- yeah, for for the charities week at school. So, um, so yeah, I, I I could never forget that. And my daughter still, if I mention it, will sing the chorus at the dinner table.
1: There was always this lovely thing that if in the GCSE exam there was one of those questions that said, two of the parts of the electromagnetic spectrum are missing, fill in the words for the missing parts, and you could get, you just caught it at the right point in the exam hall, you could go in and all the kids would be going, <laughs> <laughs> microwave, infrared, 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 radio,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you could see them doing it, it was always a, a good crack up. <laughs> so Emerson yes. Fu and Wong Yang, you are you are legends. I would say to just beware of just Googling the Electromagnetic Spectrum song and playing, clicking the first link, because there's at least two red herrings out there. There's one with an extremely offensive username, which sits right under the video. And, if you, and that's been played 40,000 times. And then there's another one that starts exactly like you expect, and then just changes into not the video you were expecting. We will link to the correct one in the show notes. Beware of getting caught out. I think it's so popular, people have subverted it.
1: Well, I think also kids who, who know YouTube, don't they? They go and think, oh, it'd be really funny at the end of the YouTube video in physics classrooms all over the country. <laughs> <laughs> so you know how it goes. But but um, yeah, you, you've got to admire at some level their ingenuity, but maybe not. Um, but yeah, those, those two guys who, who did that was in Emerson Fu and Wong Yang, wasn't it? And I think they're in Singapore. If anybody knows them, could you... Poke them and ask them to uh, to get in touch with the podcast. It would be lovely to um, give them the, the the proper respect that is due because their their song, I think, is is just a brilliant learning aid.
0: It really, really is. And I I think they took it down because I'm pretty sure that the videos up there aren't the original one that was put up there. I think it was copied. So who knows? I I really. It's such a fantastic video. If you haven't seen it, you have to watch it. It's absolutely brilliant and catchy. Just love it. I'll, we'll probably play a little bit now. Probably allows us to do a 30-second under fair use.
1: Yeah, something to do with that. Yeah, critical evaluation or something. What do you think of the Electromagnetic Spectrum song? Yes. Wonderful. Of radiation, let me tell you what they are. Radio waves, microwaves, infrared radiation, and ultraviolet x rays. So whilst I don't think it's going to win uh, an Ivor Novello Award, I do think it is a, a wonderful uh, learning aid. And, and the thing is, it's one of those brainworms. Once it gets in your head, it's never forgotten. And the kids seem to remember it and they're able to sing it and they're able to sing that chorus again and again. So a great piece of learning. Uh, thank you to the guys in Singapore for doing that. And uh, hopefully we'll get you on the podcast sometime soon. Uh, now, so Thomas, over Christmas, we didn't have uh, many people getting in touch with the podcast because they were all, I don't know, you know, taking some time off and having a holiday. Oh, it's outrageous, isn't it? Shocking. Oh No, it's terrible, shocking, but uh, we're very glad that you, you, you did. But um, of course, it has m- meant a, a little bit of a hole here that we, we don't have an interview to go to now, but but way back when, way back uh, in episode, <clears throat> I can't remember, um, we talked about your fantastic practical, how long is a piece of string? So I thought I'd, I'd quiz you on that now, because now's as good a time as any to, to ask you about that. How long is a piece of string? What's it all about? And why do you do it? And how do you do it? And, and is it difficult? And what's it for?
0: Well, <laughs> I haven't done it for a while because I try and alternate it so that the coming year can't, has no chance of knowing the secrets behind it. So ha- what what is it? Oh, There's a background to it. I, I always like to teach uncertainty, and I struggle with zero errors in a simple way and systematic errors. And and I was in a school once where kids never had rulers, so I, I went and photocopied some rulers. And I realized afterwards the rulers were about 1% or 2% smaller than they should be a light bulb went off in my head. Wow, I can use that. So what I do is I, I, I ask my wonderful technician of the time to cut me pieces of string about 10 centimetres, but not exactly, out of standard white string, and just mm. cut them as close as they can to the length they choose, but to cut the end at about 45 degrees. Mm. I then give the kids these piece, a piece of string each with a sticker and get them to label it as their piece of string. And I say, we're doing a, le- a lesson on measurement, and we're going to answer the age-old question, how long's a piece of string? And I know some of you won't have a ruler, so here's a tray of rulers I photocopied. So you may find some of them aren't, are a bit, have been round the block a bit, they're not that great. And I hand them the tray of rulers. Now, they will all have a ruler in their bag, but they won't bother to get them out, and they just reach for one of these cardboard photocopies. When they get them out, they see the, the ruler's... Some have been scrumpled up and unscrumpled. Some have had the bottom ripped off. Some have had the the bottom cut off. They're they're all capable of measuring the string, but they all have some problem or other. What they don't know is a third of them are photocopied 5% too big and a third of them are photocopied 5% too small. I've held them up at the start. I said, look, the technicians cut them as close as they can to the same length. And all we want to know is what do we agree the length of the piece of the string is? And they measure their piece of string. I say, right, now measure the person next to you. And then measure the person next to you. We'll go around. Everyone can measure everyone else's piece of string. Normally, I have quite a small class. But this year, I'd have to put them in groups of four, I think. Um, measure each other's piece of string. And then we'll come back. And we'll do an average. And we'll say, we'll say how long a piece of string is. And of course, because their they're rulers are handicapped, they don't think of the percentage error. They don't notice it. And they start getting these real inconsistencies in the length. You know, it'd be from 92 mm. to 102 millimeters or something. So you can imagine what happens, the fallout yeah. of that Carnage. is great confusion. Yeah. And we will talk about the zero errors. Well, how, are you sure you measured it right? Because there's no zero. Well, how did you do that? So they they work it. They tell me they talked through their methodology of avoiding a zero error. You know, they started at 20 mils, and then they took 20 mils off the answer. Or if it scrambled up, they made it as flat as possible Oh, so you made the measuring equipment as good as you could, and you you adjusted for the zero error, and we write all this on the board, and we make sure they know what they're doing. Okay, so how long is your piece of string? Because they're all cut the same length, right? Bob, how long's yours? 92 millimeters. Jane, how long's yours? 102 millimeters. Oh, well, perhaps you better measure each other than check. And of course, they swap, and they both mm-hmm. measure the same again. Yeah. And so that's Hugely confusing to them. And then they sort of, eventually, they start comparing the rulers. They smell a rat Mm -hmm. at one point, eventually. Mm. And they compare rulers. And then they realize the rulers don't match up. Uh So then what do they do? Well, they they dive into their bags to get their ruler, presumably, at that point, do they? Exactly. They dive into the bags. And then what are they doing? What are they doing to their measuring device? Well, they're calibrating it, I suppose, aren't they? They're They're calibrating it, exactly. And that's kind of the punchline of the lesson. Brilliant. So it's a lesson about (laughs) trusting the teacher, (laughs) I think a lot of it is they learn not to trust me very much. And then for the next two years, they'll be getting trays of equipment. I always try and have one or two correct looking, but spurious bits of equipment. Um, And if I'm doing one where they, where they have to set it up, obviously if I, if it's one where I set it up, they have everything perfect. But if there's one where they have to make a judgment, I will often have right looking, but wrong equipment available to them. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a lesson not to trust the teacher. It's a lesson on calibration. It's a lesson on zero errors. Can I
1: change that slightly? Not to not not to not trust the teacher, but to be sceptical of things that they are told until they've checked them themselves. Perhaps is is the uh, is is the outcome, isn't it? I think it's 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 not so much lack of trust in the teacher, um, although probably you, you get a slightly sort of you know evil genius kind of uh, Victorian bad guy with a big moustache moment out of it. Uh, but there is this just this idea that in science you need to check. And you need to check and check and check again. And you don't take things at face value. And you make sure that the assumptions that you have made are correct and that you do these checks and tests and all the rest of it just to make sure that that, um, you're not being sold apart. And the thing I love is also is you can bring in all sorts of, of discussions. You can start talking about where all the errors came from and you can Start sorting those into systematic and uh, random, and you can start talking about all these yeah so it's just it's, it's a fantastic way of introducing that idea of uncertainty because students really struggle with it because they spend all of their scientific life being told that there's one correct answer there's one right thing, and all of a sudden you're turning it on its head
0: yeah I, I think for me the the moment where they get their they reach into their bag and find a known good measuring device is, is the what I like about that because there's another lesson I do which is similar that I refer back to I, I refer back to the the how long sleeps the of string for the rest of the year now look at that mm. yeah you've got that I, I get i use analog meters occasionally and look at that analog meter that's not correct that's not on zero what are you going to mm. do think back to the ruler so that plays into it
1: um, yeah
0: yeah so it, it, it lasts the whole year and mm. yeah there is that evil machiavellian big mustache victorian baddie moment which i quite enjoy yeah but i do think it's it, it's a very good learning experience when when the penny drops that they effectively been sabotaged, that's mm. a nice moment. And the the, the conclusion is not we always forget about the length of the piece of the string. It's always about uncertainty and how, how do you know your result is as good as it can be.
1: And I think also the other thing, nine years of, of physics teaching – one of the things that, that I realized was this whole idea of measurement and control is a huge area in science. It's a massive area in science. And most of the breakthroughs in physics, certainly over the last few years, and also I'm going to guess engineering and other areas as well, were the result of massive numbers of repeats of of very, very fine measurements bringing out a statistically significant result. So this is a really, really important part of modern science that often gets underplayed and underestimated. And indeed, it it goes all the way through from the cutting edge uh, gravitational waves and Higgs boson right the way through to uh, engineers measuring up pieces of steel to put in a building. So it is absolutely the, the full gamut of, of physics being covered here with uncertainty and with measurement. So it's an incredibly important thing to consider, and it hardly ever is. It
0: really isn't. The, the, have you read about the LIGO when they found the gravitational waves that the, the change in length of that four, five, I don't know how many kilometres long it is, track is less than mm. the width of a proton? Yeah. That's extraordinary. number of repeats you have to do to do that. It's amazing, isn't it? We were a lecturer at a school we both served at where someone from CERN came in and talked to us about looking for the Higgs boson. And he kind of tr- told us they'd pretty much found it. And he had a graph, didn't he, with the log scale of how many events were signifying Higgs boson. And then the mm. number of events he had was 60 or something mm. out of trillions. I remember going up yes. to him and saying, is that right, 60? 60 is, is borderline significant. How do you pick that out of those Billions and billions of events that are happening each each week, each year. Mm. Extraordinary. So measurement, yeah, it's super important. I'm much more engineering, aren't I? I really like measurement.
1: So people often say, you know, that, that um, what's the relevant that physics has for, say, somebody who's going to go and become a car mechanic or somebody who's going to become a hairdresser? Well, one of the relevances is the ability to do measurement properly. Mm. Discuss. There you go. Yeah. I'll leave it at that because I can I could harangue about this for ages. But it is a really important and, and universal part of the science.
0: Right. I think that's probably enough for this week, Robin. I think we have things lined up for the coming days. So we'll wind it up there. Thank you very much, Robin. Thank you, Thomas. It's been an absolute pleasure and um,
1: lovely to talk to you twice this week. We managed to get together, and which is great. And, uh, and thank you for your ideas on how long is a piece of string. Uh, that's a, a really, really good fun one. I think that's going to get a lot of people thinking. So thanks for that.
0: Thank you. And yeah, it was good to meet face-to-face. I mean, to remind people to contact us with their best ideas about physics it really is fun chatting to you about them and getting those ideas out there so do email us contact at the physics teaching podcast.com tweet at us at physics tp or use the contact form on the website or there's many other ways they're all listed on the website or in the show notes thank you for listening and we'll speak to you next week thanks indeed see you
1: next week everybody thank you Bye-bye.
0: Bye bye thank you for listening to the physics teaching podcast please don't be shy about sharing your best thing with us you can never be sure if people haven't heard of it can you you can tweet us at physics tp email us contact at the physics or contact us through the website you could also be the first person to leave us a telegram or whatsapp voice memo on 07898 814 716